This is episode number 32, Forgiveness, with John Harrell. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohin, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Abuse, an act he simply couldn't escape during his early years. He said, I grew up in a fear-filled, violent background. My father was physically abusive with me. My mom was as well. I didn't know what a loving family looked like, but I knew from a very early age that what I was experiencing was wrong. An environment that made him feel unsafe. An environment that made him feel as if he was constantly walking on eggshells. An environment that made him afraid to make mistakes. Without further ado, please welcome John Harrell. John, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me here. I'm honored to be here. I would like to start off this episode a little bit differently and ask you a question, and that question being, for those who may not be familiar with your past and background, could you tell them a little bit about your story and how you got here? Of course. I grew up in a fear-filled, violent background. My father was physically abusive with me. My mom was as well, not to the level that my dad was, but they also were emotionally abusive to me. I didn't get, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know what a loving family looked like, but I knew from a very early age on what I was experiencing was wrong. Mm-hmm. It just, we all have this inner cord inside of us that tells us what's right and what's wrong, even mm-hmm. from a, a very young age. And I just knew what I was experiencing was not right. But my father, uh, his first response or first reaction to, to me spilling something or or interrupting or being rude was to pull his belt off and have me drop my pants and whip me. Mm. And that was what I, that was what I knew. So when you grow up and, and are in that environment, it's like you're walking on eggshells. You're afraid. You're afraid to make a mistake because you know it can it can have very damaging consequences, painful consequences. Mm-hmm. It's not just the physical pain because that was there, but the emotional damage that was done, um, <clears throat> the emotional damage is is equally if, if not even bigger than the physical damage. I mean, physical wounds do heal, yes, but the emotional damage is what I carried into my Sticks adulthood. Forever. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So, and the upside to that has been, I always look at, I'm an optimist. I've always been optimistic. I have no idea where this comes from. <laughs> it, it's, it's just part of my inner DNA, and I'm fortunate for that. But, but the upside is when I had children, I just knew there's no way I could ever harm them. I could never hurt them the way that my parents did me. My mother whipped me as well. And both parents told me I was worthless. I would never amount to anything. And that I was not worth a damn. And when the people that are supposed to be shaping and framing your character to help you grow from a young boy into a man who would be contributing to society, a good person, um, person of character, it messes you up. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of the fortunate ones because I didn't stay messed up. I mean, I'm kind of a mess still in some ways, but not not as bad as it, as it could have been. Um, 
See, I'm gonna, I, I will tell you every day I wake up, I'm the most fortunate man on planet Earth for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But, but when I had children, it really came back home to me. It's like, how could my parents do this? Mm-hmm. They're so innocent. Little babies are so innocent. They, they rely on you for everything. My father put me in the hospital when I was six months old. I had a, a, a milk allergy, and no one knew it. And a six-month-old baby can't talk. So what does a six-month-old baby do when, when its stomach is cramping? It cries. And that's what I was doing. I was crying. And my father, this is how warped he was. My father thought, well, if he's crying, I will spank him to get him to stop crying. Mm. And my dad lost control, and he wouldn't quit. And my mom had to go two doors down to get a neighbor to come get him off of me took me to the hospital because I was choking and I was convulsing and, and I mean, he could have killed me at six months. Mm-hmm. And there's another incident in which he put me in the hospital by the time I was two, but you know, it, the things that my father did to me over the course of my life, he would be in prison for today. Mm-hmm. But in the time I grew up, they looked the other way mm-hmm. and that's what happened. So I'm fortunate that I survived it and not just the physical, physical piece but also the emotional piece. Hmm. You know, unfortunately, I didn't have the third of the triumvirate of, of abuse. I, I was not sexually abused. But the other ones were... were, were, were Just as severe. They are horrible, yes. How has an experience like that made you look at family differently? How do you define family? What, is, what does family really mean to you? Well, that's a good question. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know growing up my, my identity of family, a happy family, was what I saw on television. Mm. And, but I was smart enough to know that's scripted. That's not real life. But I wanted to believe it. Even to this day, Oleg, I get, I get irritated when I see the Hallmark movies coming on at the holidays, <laughs> right? Because there's this perfect family on this perfect street, and everybody looks perfect. And then, yeah, conflict comes, and there's, mm-hmm. there's stress to the maximum, and then all of a sudden they bounce back, and everything's put perfect in the world, and Thanksgiving comes off without a flaw. Yeah. That is not real life, okay? <laughs> but, but it gives you this false sense of stuff. And for someone like me who goes back and relives holidays, which were not good at all, always tension-filled, um, it, it, it gives you a false identity of what, of what a family looks like. So the best I could do, for example, having kids, was I was not equipped to be a father. I didn't have any skills. My dad wasn't the guy that would go out and throw the football with me in the yard or take me on long hikes and walks and drives and stuff. My dad was not a communicator at all. His, his communicator was more you know, physical. Right. And I did not know how to shape fatherhood. But I do believe that I can learn. So what I did was I started reading everything I could. I read books on parenting. I read internet articles on parenting. I talked to people that I thought were solid fathers and said, what would you do in this situation right. when your son does this? Mm-hmm. And, and raising boys is a tough dynamic. They aren't easy. <laughs> you know? But, but, the, but the, the, the thing is, I knew that I could learn. And then I would read these things, I'd listen to people, and I would take what I learned and put it into practice for, to fit my style of, of personality. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's, a, there's a key distinction here, too, with raising kids because... There's discipline and there's punishment. And that a lot of times people confuse the two, but they're different. Discipline is rooted in love. And if you don't discipline your children when they're, when they're kids, 
then you really don't love them enough, right? Because mm. discipline means that you want them to make right decisions, reinforced to be to be the, the their, to bring their best character out as adults. Mm-hmm. Punishment is rooted in anger. That is the genesis of punishment. And so, I was raised with punishment. I tried to raise my kids with discipline. Now they might tell you something different. Now. <laughs> they may see it. They may see it differently in, in their minds. But I, um, I try to do it differently, and, and my sons are both grown now, and, and I'm grateful. They're both young men of, of impeccable character. That's amazing. I've always wondered that because one of the things I've been trying to recreate throughout the work of Overcoming Odds is that sense of family and belonging. Because, um, you know, one of the things that you and I share is, is the fact that we did have that rough upbringing. Um, I was born in an entirely different country, and at the age of 12, had to come here and readjust make a quick quick pivot to mm-hmm. into a new family and into a new home. And so what all these transi- transitions made me realize was that what truly makes up a family? Is it the support? Is it the love? Because it's clearly a lot more than just the biological aspect. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I've learned is that it's really, A, you get to choose the type of family you want to have. So the people that you put in it, that's 100% your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really just comes down to the environment that you create which I think ultimately becomes a family for someone who may not have had it from the very beginning. That's correct. You know, C.S. Lewis said something that's so poignant. He said, you can't go back and change the past. All you can do is start where you are mm-hmm. and create a different ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what, what I was trying to do. And that's certainly what, you're sa- what you just said to me is, is, is to shape that because you can create the family that you want. Mm-hmm. You really can but it takes it's like anything else it's worthwhile it yes. takes work yes. it takes yes. work yes so one of the things that I want to explore within your story and you had mentioned this briefly how you had faced a lot of um, physical abuse from your father now with something like that how did you find the courage to eventually rise up and share your story and share ex- your experience and then the other part of that question is what made you want to decide into that larger portion of here is my story, but here is a group of people in this world who can also benefit from it. Sure. So, again, deep, deep question. How much time do we have? <laughs> the, uh, the, um, so, let me go back three years ago. A friend, a friend of mine, uh, in fact, this person I dedicated my book to because I'd never have written a thing, and none of this story would have ever gotten out, really, if, if he hadn't urged me, uh, pushed me, pestered me as I like to tell him to, to, to write because he and I would, would talk and I would tell him stories about me growing up and he said you've got to write these down and so I started writing a blog about three and two and a half years ago and I began in certain blogs revealing a little bit about my past but just kind of glossing over the top of it and and my friend would would say no no you you've got to get deeper in there and so it's a process mm-hmm. it takes time I'd, I had already forgiven my parents for their failings, their flaws. I was able to see them for who they truly were and, mm-hmm. and, and why they were that way. Forgiveness is very freeing, but that's another another subject. But So I wrote, in fact, the very last blog I wrote was in April of this year, and I called it Atticus Finch is Dead. And so in there I cited some, store, some, some statistics from the Department of Labor, such as uh, 69% of youth suicides are kids who were raised in fatherless homes. 75% of rapists 
were raised in fatherless homes. They rape is a not a sex crime; it's a crime of hate. I didn't know that. Yeah, because because they're just they're just just displacing their anger through rape. Okay, now sex is involved, mm-hmm. but it's not about sex in the from from the rapist standpoint. And then the next paragraph is really what was the the genesis of telling my story, and that was when I said, "But what what about those of us whose fathers were home every night, but we wish they weren't?" Because that was me, mm. and I, and I expanded on that in that in the next couple of paragraphs. And like I had so many people contact me, hundreds of people contact me. Some I knew, some I didn't know. I got emails, I got a phone call. Um, I mean, I got, I got contact from people who said, I grew up the same way, but I always thought I was the only one. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's what I thought when I was growing up. I mm-hmm. was the only one because there's so much shame associated with that household. Oh, absolutely. And it's your want, family. You don't, you don't ultimately want to break that bond right. by telling the world what that family really is. That is right. And so there's fear of judgment which people are going to judge you anyway. I mean, they may not like the, you know, <laughs> the way I do my hair or whatever, but you know, they'll look at some angle, well, at least I have hair baldy, you know. But, but, the, but the, the point is there's fear of judgment, and you feel, you, you take it down to an emotional level, and you almost feel like, I did for a while, but I don't now, but it, it takes you back to these emotions you felt like this is something I've done. This is my fault mm. when it's not. But that's the logic of a child. They believe that that's that whatever they have done, even even if I've do, not done something wrong, but I'm getting a whipping for it. I think mm-hmm. I must have done something to cause this, hmm. and that's a pretty heavy burden to carry into adulthood. Absolutely. But I, I somehow found it. I found the right words to say, which touched on a chord in people's hearts. For that many people to reach out to me and tell me that they grew up the same way and. Thank you for sharing this story. I don't think I could ever do it, some would say. And I think everybody can when they're ready. I think they can when they're ready because mm-hmm. my time came in April of 2018. I was ready. So I took that as the green light to actually go write my first book. And uh, magically I wrote it in three days. And it was about my life. And it was about... All of, and there's more stuff than just my life. There's societal things I don't like, such as judgment, and, and I call out groups that I uh, think needed to be called out on things without without sounding judgy, actually. Mm-hmm. But there's things that, that are in the book that are, are beyond just my, my life, but there's, there's touch points on my life and experiences I went through which were horrible, which I shared with the world, and I've gotten great feedback on it from people. People have emailed me, people have texted me, they've called me, they've sent Facebook messages. I, you, know, you made me see things differently, and, and I'm, I'm looking at th- things, I'm reconsidering some things. I had a review on my, uh, on my Amazon uh, uh, page from a man that was the father of a girl I dated a little bit when I was in high school. I didn't think he even liked me. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me five stars and a great review. I'm like, I called her, I'm like, You've had You're, a fan all along. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't think your dad even liked me because he barely talked to me. He just kind of looked at me like, who are you and what are you doing here? You know, mm-hmm. Maybe just didn't like the look in my I don't know. but, but um, So I hit on something, and I, I just I know I did. There's a lot of people, and the more I talk, I've talked to people on airplanes. I've been traveling a lot in the last month and a half, and I've talked to people on airplanes that it, we start talking, and they start sharing their story with me. One of my gifts, I'm fortunate, it's not, it's not anything I've done by design, is 
people open up to me because I'm not judgmental and I will not hold them in judgment no matter what they tell me. And people have told me some insane stuff, uh-huh. but I just sit and, and listen. And a lady I rode on the airplane with uh, going to San Diego a couple of weeks ago just opened up to me and told me that she said, I was telling a little bit about the book and she read the back cover and she said, this was me growing up and this mm. was my husband growing up. And they're like in their 70s, right? She's, mm-hmm. And so she bought a copy and, and just, but it's not so much about that. It's about this allows people to reflect and maybe it gives them the strength to find it in their hearts to forgive the people who have harmed them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that have been harmed. And, and you know, so, somebody who grew up in an idyllic family won't get this at, at an empathetic level. Right. But where, what I say to them is, is then let it make you more full of gratitude that your family was not what I was raised in and so many other people were mm. raised in. Because I think, I think people are hurting and they take it out on... Now, the weak people take it down on the weak people. You know, yep. my, my dad obviously was a hurting person because hurt people hurt people, you've heard it say. Mm-hmm. Same thing with my mom. But again, forgiveness for me was the key. And I, couldn't, I could not have written this story, I could not have told my story and been as bare bones out there, completely open and vulnerable to the world without being, first having found it in my heart to forgive them mm. because that frees you to tell the truth without any fear, any you know concerns about judgment or anything else. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it takes time. It took me time. So April 2018 was the start of that. And really the, the, the first time I had really dug in hard because I'd, I'd glossed over some in, in previous blogs. Not everyone, but some. And, uh-huh. and it's like, I, I know I can go deeper. But you also, you, you, it's kind of like scarring. You have scar tissue over some of these wounds. Yep. and you've got to remove the scar tissue. Yep. And you know, the older you are, then then the more scar tissue that would have accumulated. Uh-huh. But once you're able to get rid of that and just re-expose that wound, but you've got the strength to get through it, that's yeah. when you know it's the right time. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm learning this as well as I'm putting together a book of my own, is that I, I, I spoke with many different people who have become either accomplished authors or just put put a book together in general and what I've learned is that you know there's so much at least from the society uh, perspective there's so much pressure on getting the best content out there like this has to be the best possible book but really what you just mentioned there are layers to it so this book is a stepping stone to the next one Mm -hmm. that book is a stepping stone to the other one and if, if you look at it that way that's how you're actually able to finish the product in the first place because you can get caught in the fact of okay is this really the best content? And so you're going to get caught in this constant ideation phase where, okay, I know I can make this better. I know I can make it better. And then <laughs> you fall into per- perfectionism, which to some extent doesn't exist with something like this because you have to be able to write the book. You have to be able to have the conversations. You have to be able to speak about it in order to generate more thoughtful content from that, from the, you know, the very beginning. So it's, it's, interesting how that whole process works of putting together a book like that it is and actually the writing part was pretty easy mm-hmm. the editing was hell on earth I mean, yeah. it was, it's, it's hard to edit the thing plus as you say you want it to be perfect uh-huh and so the editing took a lot longer than writing the book did and it's a short book i kept it short because i want men to read it too okay men, men don't read as much as, as women do but it's it's 
it's just short to the point and it's effective. So I'm very I'm very proud of the of the product. Uh -huh. But you're right. The ideation of it's got to be perfect is there all the time because when you you know writing is art and when you're putting your art out into the world you're exposing yourself a little bit yes and, yes and there's a, there's some vulner, vulnerability that goes with that yeah and you've got to be be willing i mean like so yeah i don't check it often because amazon doesn't tell you when you get book reviews yeah but i've, I've got five on there they're all five stars you know <laughs> make a sign of the cross <laughs> here you know but but it's not even that so much i don't do it for any ego involved it's just that I'm glad that people liked it that much. That they took the time to actually find value in it. Yeah, they actually, but they actually took the time to go out and write a review, uh -huh. and then, um, but but the the I lost my train of thought here on, on that. But it's it's the it's the it's not so much a validation. I knew it was a good a good product, mm -hmm. and, and when you write, you just know it's time to publish, and that's the way it is with the blogs. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do in this life, I believe, prepares us for the next thing. Yes, whether it's a a hellacious, you know, upbringing, to uh, writing a book, to giving a talk, mm -hmm. to just meeting people and, and mm -hmm. connecting with them. I think it all prepares us for the next thing, and we always want the thing. I, I do. I want the thing to be big. Yeah. It's not always big. Sometimes yeah. it's just listening to somebody tell you their story and and just just being empathetic and listening yeah. to them, yeah. and and that's for them. It's not for me. It's for them. Mm -hmm. But I get a lot out of it too. You know the the um, the thing you and I share. I wasn't an orphan. I will tell you honestly that being an orphan was appealing to me when I was a child. And I know that sounds bizarre to say, but mm -hmm. but um, it was uh, it was just it was came from anger. But we both share parental rejection. Mm -hmm. We share parental rejection. Now, you got a second chance with good parents. Mm -hmm. I didn't. So, but still that rejection, you know, at, at that base level is just, that, it, that's something that takes a lot of time to work through. Yep. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of forgiveness that's got to be, got to be practiced to get, to get through that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you mentioned, which I think is important for people <coughs> to note and maybe practice on their own, is judgment. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned how you've come to a point where you're not, you don't judge people, you accept them for who they are. What do you do? What do you ask yourself? Or how did you even develop that mindset? Yeah. Um, part of it is just my natural proclivity is how I am. Because um, I love meeting people. Mm -hmm. I love meeting people. And, I've, and I, I guess inherently I know that if I am going to act judgmental about them, they're not going to share their story. Correct. And I love to hear, hear people tell me, you know, I'll, you know the one thing I, I, I don't do is, you know, because men are the worst about this. You meet somebody <laughs> at a party, what do you do? You know, and first question out of their mouth, because men have have no con conversation skills, I guess. But but, but I, I don't ever ask that. I said, tell me about your family. Where were you raised? How did mm. you end up here? And, you know, the career stuff always comes out later, but, but, but it's, it's not about that. It's about I want to know who they are. And when you approach people wanting to know who are you, mm -hmm. then you get so much more out of that conversation, even if it's a brief encounter on an airplane mm -hmm. or sitting at a bar at an airport or... or, or, or wherever like us over coffee you know a couple of weeks ago I mean I mean you get so much more if you're really genuinely interested in that person you really want to connect with that person see connection is the key to solving a lot of the ugliness in the world this is actually the subject of my second book but it's when you connect with somebody it's stronger than unity it's stronger than diversity because see unity and diversity actually divide us further 
Mm -hmm. Let me let me share a little, little bit on that. If you're part of a unified group, you're afraid to be yourself because you may stand out from the unified group as being different. Mm. And diversity just divides us further. It, it categorizes us. Connection is, I'm going to let my guard down, and I'm going to look into your heart, and I want to see who Oleg is, who you really are, what makes you tick. And the only way I can do that is to not hold you in judgment and not tell people what to do. You know, as men, we are, you know, it's in our DNA. What you need to do is this. How you solve this is this. Because that's just what we do, right? Yeah. We do that and we kill time. I'm still not sure what that means. <laughs> but, but we do. And we do it well. But but if when you connect with somebody, then you really form a different, I mean, it's deeper than just a, a, a casual acquaintanceship. You actually see into that person for who they are and you let them see you. That is the key to solving a lot of the ugliness and the hate that's in our world now is connecting with people. It's deeper. Uh-huh. And then, and see, when you, when, you, when you look at it like this, let's say that I had been able to do this as a teenager. I connect with somebody else in my school that was going through the same thing at home. Maybe they went home to drug abuse and alcoholism and, and, and you know, being told they were worthless as well. And I see that person, and all of a sudden I realize I'm not alone. We share that. We may be different. I may be the athlete. You may be the thespian or vice versa or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we share that that in common. So if you have an odd behavior at school, maybe I know where that's coming from. Maybe if you're trying to get attention or something, I know where that's coming from. Because you're not getting validation at home, so you're trying to get it from externally. Mm. But when you connect with somebody at that level, it's so much deeper. And it, 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 it heals so many ills in our world when you do it especially as an adult mm -hmm. when you when you when you connect with somebody it just makes for really more interesting conversations quite frankly i mean if you want to really get into some some deep stuff try to connect with somebody over politics you know i mean <laughs> that it, it, usually it's, it's not best to do that over alcohol but but the uh, very but the, hard to find <laughs> common ground <laughs> but it's not see it's not because here's the here's the way i approach this is this mm -hmm. I want to know, if you're different politically from me in, in some ways, and, and we're not all, I don't think, all categorized right or left or whatever, but, mm -hmm. but, but if you're different from me politically, I want to know why. I want to know, what, I want to know what drives you. I want to know what shaped your opinions. I want to know what shaped your values. And I can do that and listen and learn. I really think, Oleg, that, that our differences can make us stronger if we're willing to entertain someone's opinion who might be different from ours and accept that you know what, they may be right. Mm. They just might be right. And mm -hmm. it can actually shape your thinking to make you more of a worldview kind of a person. More, yeah. Yes, you see the world in a different way because if, if you only hang out with people that think the way you do, believe the way you do, you're going to be so self-centered and just so self-focused on that that you're not going to ever listen to anyone with a different opinion, even if they're right. Mm -hmm. You've got to be willing to consider they could be right. They can impact you. I, I have. You got to take your ego out of that stuff, though. Mm -hmm. But I truly, I've got friends all across the political spectrum, all across, and and I'm I'm proud of that because I like to connect with people. You know, there's a person in there. You know, if you say, well, I'm a Republican, or I'm a Democrat. No, you're a person. Right. Let me know the person. Let me know that person, and that's and that's how I approach people. So, I get so much more out of out of that kind of a conversation, that kind of a connection. 
than you know what we see on on social media is let me convince you to see things my way. Correct. How's that worked for you? Correct. You know. You know. Correct. Let me convince you how why I'm right and you're wrong. And there's so much of that mudslinging now. It's just it's just not doing any good. If you're not building people up and and helping, you're hurting. You're tearing them down. And I just I just don't believe in that. Absolutely. One of the things you mentioned, which I think is interesting, um, is the importance of your environment. But I'm a big believer that you truly are the average of the five people you spend your time with. Mm-hmm. When did that... I need to up my game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Exactly. Um, you're just around a, you're on the borderline. Um, <laughs> but when did that click in your mind as far as, okay, if the environment is an important part of who I become, how do I start? And maybe those are decisions you have to make along the way. How do you cut out certain people? How do you add um, certain people within it? Like, where, where, when did that start? Was there a pivotal moment in your life? Mm-hmm. And the, the pivotal moment was when I started really discovering who I, who I am and wanting to express that without any, you know, it sounds like I'm being a jerk. Well, here's who I am, except me or not. No, it's not like that at all. But I know who I am, and I'm comfortable with who I am. Mm-hmm. And I have to look at who am I hanging around with that brings value to my life and who am I hanging around with that does not. And sometimes you have to jettison people from your life that just aren't adding value. And it's, it's a difficult thing to do. You'll go through some, some lonely periods sometimes, but you're not going to be lonely forever. And something that um, I go to this brilliant psychotherapist, and he's, he's in my book actually, and, and I will tell you, he said something to me years ago that has stuck with me. He said, you know, the healthier you get, talking about emotionally, the healthier you get, the more healthy people you attract into your life. Mm. It truly works. And, and as I've never lost, I've never forgotten that. And it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, self-centered and you're just thinking about yourself and all what's in it for me and you're you're narcissistic you're going to attract a certain kind of person but they're not going to bring value to your life they're Mm -hmm. not going to cause you to cause you to grow and you know growth is difficult it's hard it's challenging i always say when i'm struggling i'm growing i'm struggling (laughs) all the time you know (laughs) i could use a couple of months off but i don't have that luxury i don't have that option but it's been a matter of making decisions of where I want to go with my life, what I want to do, and my my you know magnanimous, huge, outrageous goal is I want to inspire the world. Now, but if I, but if you're not going to be someone that that is going to be encouraging to me or tell me the truth about me, I need people that are truth tellers in my life that will tell me the actual truth without being critical. There's a there's a there's an art form to that. It's called constructive criticism. Absolutely. Those are the kind of people I want with me. People that that realize. Our friendship can st- can stand the stress of conflict. It doesn't have to break. You know, if you tell me you think I'm a jerk in this situation, and maybe I am, then okay, well, thank you. I've had friends tell me, you know, you, you said something in that group meeting that probably was inappropriate. And I think back and I go, you know what, you're right. I owe somebody an apology because I'm willing to listen. I, I Believe me, I am not perfect, okay? <laughs> I am not a perfect human being at all, far from it. But I like it when I have people around that will do that and just say, you know, you, you call me out on stuff. Because I think if we're really friends, we need to do that. So often you have people that are just acquaintances that uh-huh. don't want to take that, take that chance and do that. 
And the truth is, if somebody is really your friend, they'll stick with you regardless. They're yeah. just telling you something for your own good. Yeah. And I appreciate it because sometimes, you know, as you know, I talk a lot. And, and sometimes I may say something in a group that, that is embarrassing to somebody without meaning to. My motive is, is not impure. Right. But sometimes my mouth gets the better of me. And, and so when somebody will, will has, has the, the kindness to tell me I was wrong on something, then I will go apologize. And it's always been accepted and, and never, never been a, a conflict going on. And so I, I like that. Uh, but you have to have people like that around you that are willing to be that. And, and, I, and for my close friends, I have to be the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if, I, if I see something in them that I think is a, something that they may need to, to work on or they may have said something or they're holding on to something they need to let go, I tell them. But there's a, there's a, there's a, a way to do it. And there's a, the way to, to deliver a message like that, do it with some gentleness. Do it with some self-control. You know, just do it that way mm-hmm. and do it at the right time. You'll know when the right time is to deliver that message. Usually it's not in the heat of the moment. <laughs> um, you know, I saw a, a, a dear friend who put something on Facebook yesterday, and and he's actually stopped posting, putting anything political. He just said, he goes, I can't take it. And he said, I can't take it anymore. So I'm going to talk about music. I'm going to talk about my friends and my family and, and things I, I love and not politics. And he put a statement out on something that said, you know, I had to. Um, I had. I lost so many friends over the election. I lost so many friends over the political environment. Now he said, just he goes. I wish it wasn't that way. And I just put a little line. They weren't really your friends. They weren't really your friends. If they're not willing to be to disagree with you and and respect your opinion, because he's a very bright guy. I mean, he, mm-hmm. his his opinions aren't knee jerk reactions. They're not emotional. They are his belief system. Correct. And people. Sometimes, lots of times, want to challenge your belief systems, tell you why you're wrong and why they're right, and that's just that doesn't do any good. You mm-hmm. know, let's build each other up, truthfully, build each other up in truth, and let's let's help each other. I truly think we can do that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think the world is completely lost yet. <laughs> Sometimes I look around and go, the world's coming apart <laughs> at the seams, man. It's going off the rails. But I don't think it is. I think we can we can we can reverse this. I really believe that. It's interesting that you point that out because prior to us starting this interview, one of the things you said was it's important to understand when to stay silent and, and listen to the other person. And I, I started to look at um, opinions the same exact way. You know, we, we all have an opinion. Um, whether or not we're entitled to it, that's a different story. But so I, I think it's important for people to know that Yes, you have an opinion, but you have to understand it. When when do you use that? When and so in in this particular case, because social media allows us to complete, uh, oftentimes just vomit whatever is on our brain. It's <laughs> good word. And not, and not even think about it. Yeah. And then we look back and uh, and we ask ourselves, maybe I shouldn't have said that, or how did this impact the other person? So that's one of the things I try and show to other people and I think it's important to show and not tell is um, listen more than you speak and then speak when you have to Mm -hmm. and so but with that there comes a lot of awareness self-awareness that you have to develop to get to that point so you know you I think you've nailed it perfectly by saying that yes people have an opinion but I think it's our job to also understand that when do you speak up 
when do you share on a particular topic? How do you bring other people into the conversation? That's not only, okay, this is my problem, therefore it's the world's problem. But like, yeah. this is the problem. How is this problem part of the larger picture? Very, very well said. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, you rearrange the letters in the word listen, you get silent. I don't think that's accidental. Rearrange those letters, you get silent, which is what listening's for, what it is. But actively listening. How many times have you been in a conversation with somebody, you've seen people in conversation, and you can tell when somebody says something and the other person is replying or responding and, and saying what they believe about whatever, and you're already thinking about what I'm going to say. You're not listening to them. You're hearing them. But there's a difference. Like There's a difference in discipline and punishment. There's a difference in hearing and listening. Active listening is really listening, thinking, responding. And it's exhausting <laughs> because you're engaging your brain for an extended period of time. Hearing, you can hear anything. You can hear a you know, train whistle or something, but, but, but you, don't need to, well, you don't need to listen to that. But, <laughs> but, and, and then also, you're talking about opinions. There's, there's facts and there's opinions. And sometimes we see that facts get in the way of people's opinions. And then that can create controversy. And, but everyone, people have opinions about things. And that's, and that's fine. And they should. We should have opinions. Um, but they, but your, your beliefs, your values need to be rooted in, in, in right and in truth. And, and what is true is whatever is true is, is, is right. Not, you know, people label people nowadays, okay? Mm-hmm. People label people, say, this is my gay friend, or this is my, you know, Republican friend, or this is this guy. When you label people, oh, like, I believe you're simply categorizing them to make it safe for you to be with them. Mm. Now, that gay friend is a person. They're a human being with goals, dreams, desires, wishes, you know, damage from, from the past maybe. I, you, know, you don't know, but, but they're a person. Don't label them. You know, they're a person. Look at them like they are, which is a human being, not the category, mm-hmm. not the label. Because labeling is wrong. I want to jump back to uh, your book, and one of the things that actually stood out to me from the very uh, first two pages was the fact how you said um, you were talking about the concept of belief, and you were, you were saying how we all believe in something. Mm-hmm. You don't have to believe in God or um, other forms, but at the end of the day, you have to believe in something. And so w- what inspired me about your work and the things that you've done is that you know, you've believed in yourself, mm-hmm. um, in, especially during your upbringing. Um, I think, it, and I can relate to this, when you are raised in an upbringing like that, you really don't have many other options but to believe in yourself and, and maybe um, some form of higher power. And so with that, how, how did you come to that particular conclusion where... It's not about believing in a particular thing, mm-hmm. but it's it's believing in yourself, and it's just that that just a belief, really. So, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a long answer to that one because that's a very good question. So, st- starting off as a as a child at um, five years old, I became a performer in my in my home. Um, my dad was always angry, always, and and. 
he wanted, I, I guess he wanted us to fear him. Maybe he really didn't, but that was what he portrayed. That was what, what, what was manifested from his heart. So at five years old, I looked around. My mom was not a very good housekeeper, so our home was always dirty. And I thought, you know, I bet my dad is mad because the home is always a mess. At five years old, I started cleaning the house. And I started changing the sheets and washing and doing the laundry. And I did windows. They finally asked me to stop <laughs> doing that because I was horrible at windows. But, but uh, I still am, by the way. But um, I started cleaning the house, and the house was, would be spotless. And I thought, this would be great because my dad will come home, the home will be clean, and he'll be happy. And we'll be able to be a happy family. And my mom was certainly glad because the home was clean. And, and so I got a little bit of praise for that. So I became a performer. But nothing changed. Nothing changed in the in the family environment, the family dynamic. It was always just walking on eggshells. When I became six, um, I was still cleaning the house. But then I discovered that there were, on the inside of soup can labels, were recipes. And so I, I cut the labels off of about 10 cans of soup. And and I gave my mom a list of stuff. My mom wasn't very good in the kitchen either, so my, my dad probably would be in a better mood if he had a decent meal, right? So I taught myself to cook by reading these recipes on these labels of soup. Now, the problem with that was when you cut off the labels of 10 cans of soup and you don't label what was in that can, it's like, you, know, you know, surprise, <laughs> you know? And so, but I learned how to cook, and so I, I learned three or four different, you know, meals that I could make that, that I became pretty good at, thinking, God, this is going to be great. We're going to have a family dinner. We're going to do like the families I've seen on TVs. They're gonna, we're going to talk. We're going to be happy. But nothing changed. Nothing changed. And so it became like, this is an exercise in futility. Why do I keep doing this? I think Einstein said, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, thinking you'll get different results. Well, I was insane. But the good part of that is it, it gave me a really strong work ethic, which I've taken into my adulthood. And, and I was, I was, when I was a young you know, teenager, I, I never was without a job. In fact, I had people that saw me work that would, that would ask me to work for them. And, I, and I'm, I'm proud of that because they noticed and they wanted somebody like, you know, with my work ethic, to be part of their organization. Now, I will tell you that no God of any sort gave me hope when I was a young adult or a teenager. In fact, I hated God and told him so on a regular basis. I would shake my fist at him. I didn't know much about him, but I knew that if he was God, he could have. Why did he put me in this family, number one? And number two, why didn't he remove me? I'm not a bad kid. I'm a sweet kid. So I hated my parents. I hated my existence, and I hated God. Mm-hmm. And that was what I grew up with. What I held on to was I knew because I've always been motivated. I've had tremendous energy level from the time I was born. I knew I could make something of myself. Regardless of where I was, I just had to get through and get to be an adult. Mm. Today, the way I describe that, when I talk to kids, I talk to kids that are in in prison, you know, these are 10 to 17-year-old kids that are incarcerated, who are hopeless. And many of them live similar lives to what I led. In fact, I I know that for a fact. Um, And I tell them, You've got to get a vision for your life. See the life that you want. Don't make it about money because you know, young kids are always thinking about how much money they, can, they want to make. Or whatever. Don't make it about money. Make it about fulfillment of your life, of your life goals, dreams, desires. And your circumstances are going to change, but your vision doesn't have to change. You've mm-hmm. got to hold on to that. Hold on tight to it. And people are going to 
try and tear you down. That circumstance challenge you. Yep. Mm-hmm. You got to keep the naysayers away as far as you can, and hold on to your vision and hold on to it tight and don't give up. Don't let it go because because your vision sets the the course of your future. You see it. And the what, actions you take. Yes, because what the the truth is, your mind, our brains, don't know the difference between fantasy and reality. Mm-hmm. Your mind can work for you. It can work against you. So let, let let's let it work for us. Let's visualize. And get emotional about our futures as we want it in all aspects of your life: your physical health, your emotional health, your relationships, your 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 bank account, whatever, everything. And the um, the 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 point is, I was able to do that. Was hold on to this vision. First vision was getting out of my parents' house, mm-hmm. and circumstances were going to change, but I wasn't going to let that vision change. And now I've got a vision for this phase of my life and it's it's been a long time coming because it's been there but now it's starting to really manifest and, and grow and the circumstances change but the vision is not changing I'm mm-hmm. holding on to it and I'm going to 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 in my best days make make it happen it's amazing final thought for today's episode mm-hmm. and that is when the odds are completely against you what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to well, first thing is, and I, I'm a little older than you are, but um, I look backwards on my life, and I realize that that I got through some real tough periods, really tough periods, periods where I didn't know where my next meal was coming from sometimes, and I got through it, and I persevered. I didn't give up. Um, I'm, I'm not a believer in giving up. Mm-hmm. See, there's three traps in this world. There's self-reliance, there's or self-sufficiency, self-reliance, there's self-pity, and there's self-righteousness. I have two of the three. I can be self-reliant and I can be <laughs> self-righteous, okay? I've never had the self-pity. So I just realized that that if I just stick it out, I never know what the future is going to bring, but I've got to believe it's going to be something good. I mean, if I look when I look back on my life a year ago, I can think of people I've met over the last year, yourself included, going, there's no way I could have anticipated meeting this incredible young man who's now interviewing me for his popular <laughs> you know, podcast. And, and I, I could not have anticipated that in my wildest dreams. So, But the thing is, we don't know what the future holds. But your, your circumstances will change. Get the vision and stick with the vision because your mind will go to work to make that happen for you. It's absolutely impossible not to. Now read, um, if you'll bear with me, the... Um, the um, a text of a, of a quote I sent you mm-hmm. that is, I want to get it right, that's why I want to read it. And this comes from Norman Vincent Peale. And the quote is, Formulate and stamp indelibly on your mind a mental picture of yourself as succeeding. Hold this picture tenaciously and never permit it to fade. Your mind will seek to develop this picture. Oh, that's a universal law that you cannot violate. It will. Your mind will, will do this. It will manifest. The healthier you are, you'll you'll manifest people coming into your life that are, are going to to you're gonna you're gonna have the same energy with and and it's just it. Life is a wild, crazy ride, and enjoy it. It's not always going to be easy. In fact, the more worthwhile work that you're trying to do, the harder it really the harder is. It gets. Yeah, but you'll get through it. I mean, every person that you read about in history. I mean, look at Thomas Edison. Edison had two months of formal education. He was sent home with a note to his mother stating, young Thomas has an adult mind, which was special needs. He was mentally retarded, is what his teacher said, and he can't learn. And fortunately, his mom said, 
Oh, Thomas, it says that you're too smart for school. You need to be homeschooled. What if she had believed that the teacher said and not seen her son as just being this curious kid uh-huh. who was tenacious? He would stick with things longer than, than people would. And he didn't invent the electric light bulb, but he found the filament and the way to, to perfect it where it would burn for a long period of time. Uh-huh. And when he died, he had something like 1,900 patents to his name. And here's a guy who had two months of formal education, right? <laughs> Don't tell me it can't be done, okay? Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. it can um, Albert Einstein, he barely got out of college. He barely got into college. He barely got out. And he is the man who split the atom. He is the man who, who proved, at first Einstein thought that the universe was finite. Then through mathematics, he proved it was infinite. Now, I don't know any idea how you do that, okay? <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know how you do that, but, but he did. And the thing is, he died before the Hubble telescope was invented and the Hubble telescope demonstrated, showed us that Einstein was right. The universe is always expanding. So, the, but, but the odds were stacked against him, too. And he would always, one of his quotes is, I, I'm not really any smarter than anybody else. I just stick with problems longer than they do. Yeah. Just, you know, the ten, you know per, per, tenacity and persistence and just not giving up, even when the odds are against you. Because really, the, the, odds, the odds start off against you of ever even being conceived. Yeah. When you consider every how, new situation, the, the odds are always against you. Yes, yes. So, but it, the the only failures in life, the only failures are people who get knocked down and refuse to get back up. Mm-hmm. They just give up and say, mm-hmm. I, I, "I don't have it in me anymore." And when I talk to those kids in prison, I say, "You know, I, I say this be you know eighty hundred kids in the room, and and I will say to them, I know in a, in a in a in a group this big, there's some of you that have already given up." And you're ready to, to take your life. And I'm going to ask you not to. I'm going to beg you not to. You've got purpose. You're here for something. You may not see it now, but just stick with it. Stay with it because you're, you're important. You, you, you may not have a family member that's, that you're important to, but you're important to the people that work here. You're important to somebody. You're important to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be out here talking to you. You're, mm. impor- you're, you're an important life. Don't give up. You've got one more round in you. Get back in the ring. Get back and fight, and don't quit. Because I know that there's kids in there in a group that size that have already thought about taking their own life, and mm. that's the worst tragedy ever. But the, the the point is perseverance. You've just got to you got to find it in you to keep going when you don't want to go. Uh-huh. There's some days I don't want to keep going. There's a, everybody has those. Yeah. But I refuse to quit. Yeah. I will just I will keep going longer than than anybody just because it's just in it's in my DNA to, yeah. uh, to to keep pushing. I'm a kid from a small town from a from a home that the odds were stacked against me even getting out alive. I mean, think about it. my my dad put me in the hospital when I was six months old. He almost yeah. killed me. He could have killed me. Yeah. The last um, I want to, I do want to share this one story. The last the last confrontation my dad and I had I was about 20 years old. And I was in college. I'd come home for a visit for something, and, and, and um, I was in talking to my mom about something. It was actually kind of a peaceful conversation. And my dad was angry about something. I have no idea what he was angry about. No idea. But he was really amped up this time. And he comes walking in the room where my mom and I are, and he, you can just see fire coming out of his eyes. And he just he, he walks over to the fireplace, and he picks up an iron fireplace poker. And he pulls it above his head, and he goes, I'll just knock the hell out of you. And I stood up, 
And I looked him dead in the eye. And I said, if you do, you better kill me. Because I will kill you if you don't. Now, think about what's going through a 20-year-old's mind is something that you never want to have to do. And that is, I'm about to fist fight, to physically fight my father. This isn't supposed to happen. In this world, in any world, this is not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And you've got this whole wave of emotions going through you going, if I don't, if he swings that thing at me and I'm able to dodge it, I've got to take him out. Yeah. Fortunately, he threw it down and stomped off. But you know what? That's the last time that the bully ever tried to get into get get at me. It's the last time he ever confronted me with anything. We had no relationship. My father died a lonely, bitter, angry old man, which is how he lived his life. It didn't have to be that way. Uh-huh. And my mom, you know, just was always the victim and poorly I can't do anything about your dad or whatever, but she's another story, but 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 my dad manifested what was in his heart, and mm-hmm. it's too bad. It's really too bad. Um, but uh, but that was the last confrontation we had, and um, and that's how domestic violence calls come into the police station. Someone's mm. killed another person out of anger, uncontrolled anger, which is what he was full of. But now it's bigger than him. Mm-hmm. Now I could confront him. And he knew he couldn't take me. If he missed me with that fireplace poker, he knew <laughs> he knew he could not take me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it, but I was willing to because I had to. I had to fight. I'm glad it turned out the other way. Mm-hmm. How do people find you, and where do people find your book? Sure, the book is on Amazon.com. It's called "Killing My Father, Then Finding Him." It's in paperback and it's in uh, Kindle. The um, there's a couple of ways. One is Seeking-Grace.com is my blog site. And I haven't written one since April. I've got one I'm about ready to publish, but uh, I wrote the book in between there. Seeking-Grace.com. And then uh, my email, if they'd like to write me, and I will answer emails. It takes some time because I I get a lot of emails. My email address is in the book. Mm -hmm. What I like to hear from people is rewritten1 at gmail.com, R-E-W-R-I-T-T-E-N-O-N-E at gmail.com. And I, will, I promise I will respond. The uh, but uh, timely manner. Sure, I will. And um, if you do read the book, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what your thoughts are. And if you, if I can help you in any way, reach out because I will. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for Thank taking you. the time and and sharing your story with us. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Really am. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.